Hello, everyone, and welcome to Myth in the Mojave, 30 minutes of storytelling and conversation about mythology and why it's important to our lives today. I'm your personal mythologist, Catherine Savela. Wherever you may be in this wide, beautiful, crazy world of ours, you are part of this story circle. Today, I want to talk a little bit about the movie Wonder Woman. Now, I'm not really going to talk about the details of the movie, so if you haven't seen it, there shouldn't be a need for a spoiler alert. Um, What I want to talk about is the questions that this film and movies like it raise for me. Now, Wonder Woman was 17 years in the making. There were a lot of obstacles to overcome. Chiefly, the idea that women don't really go to the movies enough to warrant making movies for them and that movies with female protagonists aren't particularly popular. And yet, Wonder Woman has been setting records at the box office for the last two weeks. Like many women, I've been eagerly anticipating this movie and I went wondering if it was going to tell me anything about the heroine's journey. I've been thinking about this a lot and thinking about the common frustration expressed by many women that I talk to about the models that are offered for the path that women take, that women take to become fully who they are and to offer their gifts common frustration expressed by many women that I talk to and one that I share is that the heroine's journey often appears to be the hero's journey only with a woman swapped in in the place of the man. We know that there are some differences, maybe some very important differences in the experience of a woman and the experience of a man and yet We don't have stories that really capture those, at least not stories that are bandied about on a broad scale in the same way that the hero's journey has been for centuries. If you think about the context in which we are searching for this heroine's journey, though, our problem suddenly becomes rather obvious. If we're living in a patriarchal culture, if we are all conditioned by the value system of the patriarchy, then it's going to be really hard to get outside of that. I mean, in fact, to even start with the hero's journey as our baseline and then compare the heroine's journey to it is to put masculine version the male experience at the center, to use that as the standard. Okay, so here we have Wonder Woman, obviously being produced by a patriarchal culture, and yet, you know, somehow these stories, new stories, do emerge. They do emerge because it is the stories that we tell that change our culture. So I go to Wonder Woman wondering, Wonder Woman wondering... (laughs) whether or not there's going to be anything new. Now, I have to say, I liked the movie. I didn't think it was perfect. 
And mostly, it was really satisfying to see a woman kick ass. It was really satisfying to see her kick ass, satisfying to see her surprise everyone, especially the men who naturally underestimated her. This is, as far as I can tell, though, the story of woman as hero, following the classic pattern, beginning with the special circumstances of her birth. We watch her answer the call to adventure, which is then the call also of her destiny, and Wonder Woman's effort to fulfill her mission to stop Ares, the god of war, from inciting mankind to fight. That mission and the discovery of her true nature and the extent of her gifts coincide. The needs of the collective and her need in terms of personal development go hand in hand. They're necessary to each other. And this is one of the key insights in the hero's journey as Campbell gave it to us. In the movie, human beings are fighting World War I. And at the time, that was called the war to end all wars. It was unprecedented in terms of the violence and the number of people who were killed. So we've got this on a grand scale, a grand scale. But now my question is, does this movie show us or teach us anything new? Does it teach us anything new about heroics and the hero's journey. Well, it's open to interpretation. Like any story, I'm sure that each one of us has a little bit different take on various moments and answers to my question. I think that it tries, in a few places at least, to suggest that a woman hero, or rather super hero, might have a different value system, or depth of feeling. But I don't think that it went very far. Now, I said I wasn't going to get into specifics for those of you who haven't seen the movie yet. So let me just say, I'm interested in your opinion and answer to the question, does Wonder Woman show us anything new, or is this essentially traditional heroics and the male warrior model? Now, I used the word superhero a minute ago, and that is an important distinction. Wonder Woman is a superhero, like Achilles, if we want to stay with the Greek mythological references that infuse the movie. Wonder Woman is more than human. She's a goddess, and so she is a superior warrior. She is a superhero, and she is a superhero in the tradition of our comic book superheroes. And we recognize all the iconography in her costume and, of course, the connection to Marvel. And when you go to see the movie, you, like me, will probably first sit through a half a dozen previews of other movies based on comic book superheroes, people with superpowers. Now, this is important because the superhero as a genre, as a type of story, has some 
important implications for Western and particularly American culture. Usually, the superheroes are matched up with supervillains or some alien evil from outer space. This is one of the most common versions, but this idea of the super good, super strong battling the super bad, super strong, basically, yes, um, God versus the devil has been in our culture for some time. And it's not limited to comic books. You can find this in Westerns, too. The Mysterious Stranger, you know, Clint Eastwood, anyone, <laughs> with uncanny abilities for sharpshooting and maintaining his cool, who saves an entire town, you know, from a handful of the truly, truly bad, 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 bad guys. Now, movies, movies are stories that we share about how the world works, about life. And even the seemingly far-fetched fantasy films, like our comic book or other superheroes, spring from our collective fears and desires and beliefs and values. The central theme in the superhero movies that brings all of those elements together is this battle that I just mentioned between good and evil. Do you believe that there is an ongoing battle between good and evil? Many people do. And many more of us do so unconsciously. This battle is very important in our dominant mythology, that is, the Christian mythology. For better or for worse, Christian ideas are an all-pervasive force in Western culture, whether or not you consciously subscribe to it. And you'll even see the iconography as well as hear snippets of that story, good versus evil, but specifically with Christian inflections in Wonder Woman. This is a very powerful archetypal idea or plot line that there is an ongoing struggle between good and evil, for the possession of the world, for control over reality, for, most importantly, possession of humanity, of human uh, nature and human conscience. So I get it. I get that in a superhero movie, even one like Wonder Woman that is theoretically based in, loosely, but based in Greek mythology, that that's going to come in. But one thing they did in the movie is recast Zeus and Ares in that mold. And that really bothered me because it's unnecessary. It's unnecessary and it's one of the many ways that the more complex, interesting, and real life or real in lived experiences, challenges and questions about how we must deal with good and evil, are sidestepped. So, (laughs) when you watch movies, when you watch movies, especially superhero movies, you might ask yourself about the story that is being told. This story that is inculcating our collective consciousness in these days of political, religious, and social terrorism. 
when there is an upswing in the number of young men, usually young men, who are going on shooting rampages, taking matters in their own hands to right social wrongs that they perceive. When power continues to be consolidated in the hands of the few and the actions of our government are raising fears of fascism, ask yourself, where is the evil in this film located? What is its source? Is it coming from outside, from someone or something foreign, some intruder that doesn't belong? Or is it in the community? Is it in your community, perhaps in your own self, in your own character? Which of those is more useful? Is it more useful to fantasize that the evil in our lives is uh, something outside of us? How do you feel about that? How is this evil defeated? Does might make right? Do the ends justify the means? I mean, that's what we're usually given in these comic book versions, isn't it? And how do you feel about that? And then there's the need for a superhero. A superhero. What does this say about the average citizen? Is the average citizen in these stories, in these movies, a helpless victim? Someone who really is just kind of floundering, running around, afraid, in need of a superhero? That is, an authority who's larger than life with big fists or guns or laser eyesight or all of that to save them? How are we, how are you, inspired and empowered by a superhero movie? Or are you? Are you empowered by a superhero movie? Maybe it validates your view of the world. (laughs) I don't know. And is the movie good enough if your idea of what is good triumphs, even if the difference between the actions of the superhero and the villain are kind of hard to distinguish? In 2002... On the heels of 9-11, John Shelton Lawrence and Robert Jewett wrote a very interesting book called The Myth of the American Superhero. In this book, they take a look at many popular films and TV shows and raise questions like these that I'm posing to you right now. When I was sitting the other day, in that dark theater, watching previews of superhero films and anticipating Wonder Woman, I recalled one of their central points. They, they wrote that the classic hero monomyth, that is Campbell's pattern, that in this monomyth, the hero is someone who is willing to give his life for something larger than himself, and that the hero's journey is an initiation, an initiation into the deeper truths of self and reality. The superhero version, according to Shelton and Jewett, is a tale of redemption. The superhero is a savior who comes to a community of innocence in a threatened paradise and restores order and harmony. The topic of the long 
historical and psychological entanglement of the United States of America and the identity of Americans with the image of the new world as a Garden of Eden and the place to restore this lost paradise on earth is huge. It's way too big to take up here. But if you want to investigate the long, deep history of these ideas in the American imagination, you can find many thoughtful writers on the topic. And Lawrence and Jewett do weave this in their book. The myth of American exceptionalism is part of this mix. The belief that Americans, the white men that is, uh, are chosen people with God on their side, that somehow they have the right to do what they think is right. When I say these things bluntly, to many of you it may seem ridiculous, and hopefully you can see that it is dangerous. But we need to bring these things to consciousness because unconscious religiosity, an unconscious attachment to these images and to this story leads us to places of unquestioned truth, quote, unquote. We are then at the mercy of things that seem real, that seem like they have to be, that are in fact (laughs) the reflection of myths, myths that can be and should be, in my opinion, changed. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a movie, Wonder Woman, that you may have enjoyed as a fun entertainment very seriously, and so I... I'm sorry if I'm letting the air out of the tires and being too serious about collective escapism, but then that leads me to my next question. Why do we need an escape? What are we escaping from when we go to watch a superhero movie? Well, I turn back to Jewett and Shelton again. They write, The Redemption of Paradise by Lone Crusaders would have been unnecessary in American mythology if actual experience with democracy had matched Edenic expectation. In other words, if the grand experiment, the grand experiment that is our image, our hope and ideal for the United States, was being more closely realized then we might not need this story. We might not need to run away into this story where we can console ourselves that it's true or still possible or perhaps even just suspend for a few minutes our despair over the realities, the realities of a land founded on the notion of all men created equal and how bitterly we have struggled and are still struggling to get close to that ideal. If I go back to my comment about my experience watching Wonder Woman and the undeniable satisfaction that I got from seeing a woman kick serious ass, a moment's reflection is all that it takes 
to connect this feeling of satisfaction with the outrage and the sorrow that I routinely suppress over the violent treatment of women around the world. Women, children, animals, the earth. There's so much that I love and act to protect that is under constant assault. And then I have my own fear of some form of assault on me personally. It's submerged, of course. You know, I don't walk around timidly. But women, don't we all know the habitual wariness and watchfulness, the care that we take, that we learn to take, the attention that we pay to our environment. In addition to Wonder Woman's leaping and kicking and punching and skill with weapons, I enjoyed her lack of understanding and awareness of the many cultural limits observed by her sex by the female in our human world and her flagrant disregard for them when they were brought to her. Wonder Woman was free, not just tough and wild and skillful and courageous, but she was also free of constraint. The Greek myths of the Amazons is part of the Wonder Woman backstory, So I thought I would share just a little bit about this race of women warriors from classical mythology. There was, in fact, a queen named Hippolyta and an Amazon named Antiope. And the Amazon women worshipped Artemis, called Diana by the Romans, above all else. Artemis was the patron goddess of women in childbirth and defender of children and the weak. But She had little feeling for human women per se and acted according to her own principles. Artemis is connected to that impersonal qualities of nature and the fierceness there that we can experience as cruelty. Young Greek girls were thought to be under the protection of Artemis and allowed a certain measure of freedom Freedom to, you know, run around in the woods, so to speak, as Artemis did, until they reached marrying age, and then left the sphere of this untamable virgin huntress. Artemis belonged to no one but herself, although she, along with her twin brother Apollo, was devoted to her mother Leto. Now, as you work your way back in time, away from Uh, the Greek pantheon and the particularities that were attributed to Artemis in that paradigm, she gets closer and closer and closer and closer and closer to the fundamental great goddess. You can take Artemis as one of the many faces of that great goddess, the life and death dealing mother, Mother Earth. In Greek mythology, The Amazons descended from Ares, the god of war, and the nymph Harmonia. They lived apart from men in Asia Minor, on a river somewhere off on the other side of the Black Sea, and they maintained their separation from the world of men very ferociously. According to some stories, they only allowed men in their company as slaves, They occasionally took men as sex partners so that they could have children, 
but they either mutilated or killed the boys and only raised the girls. Some stories say that they removed one of the breasts of infant girls so that they would grow up unencumbered in shooting bow and arrow. But Greek representations of the Amazons don't depict them that way. Some say making war was their greatest pleasure. The character of the Amazons and other colonies of warrior women, this theme is broader than simply Greek mythology, and their propensity for cruelty really depends on who and what you read. Now, one of the most famous stories in Greek mythology has to do with Heracles, who was given the task of taking the golden girdle of Hippolyta. And a girdle was a sword belt. And according to the story, Hippolyta had received hers as a gift from her father, Ares. And apparently she was willing to give it to Heracles. But Hera, who hated Heracles and didn't want anything to go smoothly for him or for anybody else, incited violence in the women. And she disguised herself as an Amazon and went and spread the rumors that Heracles was actually going to abduct their queen. So they attacked the ship and Heracles ended up killing Hippolyta. In a related story, the hero Theseus, that's the same hero who went into King Minos's labyrinth and killed the Minotaur. Theseus was with Heracles and he abducted Antiope. So the Amazons are kind of woven into the stories of several of the famous Greek heroes. There is even a story about another Amazon queen who fought at the Battle of Troy and was killed there by Achilles. According to some scholars, there were other tribes of independent goddess-worshipping women in parts of northern Africa, In Northern Europe, in Norse mythology, we find the Valkyries, warrior maidens of Valhalla. And there are legends and historical accounts of female Viking captains and war chiefs and Celtic women who were effective soldiers. In fact, the first expedition to Ireland may well have been led by a woman. It's quite possible that there is a whole mythology and history, really prehistory, of women, of females, as leaders and warriors, about which we know relatively little. Because, again, (laughs) we're living in a patriarchy, in a system that has privileged the experience of men and also has its own agenda in terms of the stories that we are allowed to have, and how we interpret stories about powerful women. So I've been raising some questions here about superheroes, and I want to make a little turn, because Wonder Woman was a goddess. She's a goddess. And according to the theologian Carol Christ, the real importance of the symbol of the goddess is that it breaks the power of the patriarchal symbol of God as male over the psyche. The simple and most basic meaning of the goddess is female power as legitimate 
benevolent, and an independent force. So in this context, I think about a choice that we see Wonder Woman make in the heat of battle and the conclusions that she draws near the end of the movie. And I wonder about their significance. Does this movie provide the opportunity to open up new ideas and new imaginings about women, the role of women, about the nature of reality, courage, heroics? I don't know. Does it pave the way to something new, or will it be a panacea? Is it one of the ways that we reconcile ourselves to a reality that is disturbingly unsatisfying? Can we make a move from comic books and the big screen to our churches and holy places, from entertainment to spiritual teachings? And how great is that distance? The director of the movie, Patty Jenkins, said at the Forbes Women's Summit in New York on Tuesday that as long as you're obsessed with young male audiences and you're writing stories with men and directing them with men, nothing will change. The world is changing. So if Hollywood wants to get rich, pay attention to this. Women are our biggest audience in the world right now. It would be wise to go after them. In this quote from Jenkins, I hear that strange mix of what's new and possible and the aspirations there couched still in the language of the old value system, in this case, money. But we have to start someplace, right? Whether or not this movie provides real inspiration is a matter of how we receive it and how seriously we're willing to consider its place in our world. Last Friday was the full moon. It's called the strawberry moon, also called the strong moon. And I'm reminded that the word Amazon may have meant moon woman and that Artemis is connected to the moon, constant in her changeability, an embodiment of natural cycles that govern our lives, even if we live with the constant hum and glare of electric lights cut off from the moonlight in our awareness of the dark night sky. There is a poem that I like to say to the moon that fills me with the power of my own warrior. And I offer it to you with the possibility that you too might find yourself under the moon reciting it and get a burst of that same exhilarating energy. It's called The Song for Ishtar by Denise Levertov. The moon is a sow and grunts in my throat. Her great shining shines through me. So the mud of my hollow gleams and breaks in silver bubbles. She is a sow, and I a pig and a poet. When she opens her white lips to devour me, I bite back and laughter rocks the moon. In the black of desire, we rock and grunt, grunt and shine. That's it for me, Catherine Savela and Myth in the Mojave for this week. Feel free to contact me if you have questions or comments about today's program. Very interested to know whether or not you see new possibilities in Wonder Woman. Thank you so much for listening. Please tune in next time. And until then, happy mythmaking and keep the mystery in your life alive.